going to do something a little different this afternoon. I want to, in our lesson this afternoon, approach this more as a class because I think that there are some things that we ought to see in the context of marriage that maybe it would be more helpful to slow down and look at some of the traits that we're going to be discussing. Uh, I do not think we will. Matter of fact, I know we will not finish the lesson today, but we're going to make a couple of points. And in our study today, I want to talk for a minute or two about what every home needs. I don't have to tell you that the home in America is under attack. And there are a lot of problems in the home today. Matter of fact, there are many, many homes that, quite frankly, are on the rocks. And yet I think that there are some biblical principles that ought to serve as a North Star to help guide the home in the right direction. Paul, of course, in writing to Timothy, said that the Word of God is inspired. And you remember in verse 16, he said that the Word of God is profitable. God has designed the Word so that we might profit or benefit from our study and meditation on His truths. And so in our study today, as we think about what every home needs, I want to begin by calling your attention to Ephesians 5, verse 25, the passage that was read a moment ago by Rex. And I want you to look at verse 25 with me. The first thing that we're going to talk about has to do with love. Love is absolutely vital when it comes to the home. Those of us who are married, we are to love our spouse. If we have children, we're to love our children. In our day and time, love is often viewed as an emotional thing, and there are emotions wrapped up in the concept of love. But genuine biblical love is taught. So I want you to look at Ephesians 5. Paul here is drawing an analogy between the relationship that exists between Christ and the church and the husband and the wife. So it's to our benefit to look at Ephesians chapter 5 in verses 21 through 24. Paul accentuates the headship of the home. But I want to pick up in our study first and foremost by looking at verse 25. Paul said, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it that it might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the Word, that it might present it to Himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Number one, as we talk about divine love, to understand that the love that Christ had for the church was number one, sacrificial in nature. Number two, the Lord Jesus was selfless. In other words, rather than thinking about Himself, He thought about us. That's literally what took Him to the cross, what He might do to benefit us. Now Paul said that those of us who are husbands... We are to love our wife. But note, if you would, the depth of love 
the degree of love that we're to have for our spouse. Paul said, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church. Question. How much did the Lord love the church? Paul answers that. We just read it. To the extent that he willingly, gladly, humbly gave himself for it. If we're going to be what we ought to be in the home, everything begins around the dynamics of love. Understanding the depth of love that we are to have in the home. Now, there are a lot of folks in the world today, they use the term love in a very loose way. The kind of love we're talking about is the highest expression of love known to Scripture. It's agape love. And the idea is that we are willing to demonstrate day in and day out love for our mate to the extent that we would sacrifice our own life for their preservation. Now listen, that's not an easy thought to digest. Husbands, if you want your wife to treat you like a king, you love her like Christ loved the church. If you will love your wife to the degree that Christ loves the church, you will not have any problems. Now, I understand that life is problematic and there are things that we face, but I can tell you this, if you love your mate like you ought to love, she will always have your back. You remember over in Proverbs chapter 31, the writer in the long ago talked about that worthy woman whose price was far above rubies. And he said, talking about her and the relationship that she enjoyed with her husband, that she would do him good and not evil, listen to what he said, all the days of his life. Well, why do you think that was the case? Because I think that a man who understands that he has a woman that her worth exceeds any kind of jewelry, any kind of monetary thing, a man who understands that will treat her like a queen. And I mean that. Husbands, we have an obligation to treat our mate with love. Sacrificial. It's not just sacrificial, but selfless love. You know, back up in verse 21, Paul said, Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of Christ. Sometimes that verse is overlooked. We're submitting to one another, but we do so in view of, in respect to, the Lord. Now think about this for a minute. Over in the book of Titus, in Titus chapter 2, Paul, in writing to Titus, and Paul had left Titus on the island of Crete to set in order things that were lacking and to appoint elders in every church. But over in chapter 2, Paul talks about domestic relationships and domestic duties. 
And he said that the aged, mature women are to teach the younger women to do what? To love their husbands and to love their children. Are there men and women married today who really do not genuinely love one another, at least from a biblical vantage point? The answer would be yes. If we want to understand something about how we treat our mate, it really all goes back to the cornerstone of love. When Jesus talked to the disciples prior to, prior to His death on Calvary, you remember in chapters, really chapters 13 through 17, there is an extended discussion that takes place. And Jesus had talked about the fact that He would be leaving them. But down in verse 34, Jesus said, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. The degree of love that we are to have for one another in the body of Christ, and really when it comes to our neighbor. We are to love one another as Christ loved us. Now again, the question goes back, okay, how much did Christ love us? Well, Paul tells us. He loved the church, gave himself up for it. The whole redemptive story rests upon love, the love of God. So if we want to know something about love, in the context of the family, wouldn't it stand to reason that we would look at the love that God has for us the expectations of love that we are to have for one another. I've always thought that when you have children, at least, now I'm talking from personal experience here. When Nancy and I had a child, nobody had to teach us to love that baby. It was automatic. That may not necessarily be the case with everyone. Matter of fact, I know it's not. But you learn something about unconditional love when you have children, don't you? And you're willing to do anything and everything for their well-being. Unconditional love demonstrated in the home when it comes to our children. We love them no matter what they do, no matter what they say, no matter what, where they go. We may, we may not always be pleased with their actions. But that's still bone in my bones and flesh in my flesh, and I still love that child. It really doesn't matter how old that child might get in this life. You might have a child one day that's 60, 70 years of age, but that's still your boy and that's still your girl. That's just the way it is. So love is a very important facet when it comes to the home. Now I want you to turn with me over to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's not just the demand to love and the depth of love, but there are some descriptions that are provided for us by the Apostle Paul when it comes to love. When Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, one of the things that he dealt with had to do with spiritual gifts. In chapter 12, there is an enumeration of these gifts. In chapter 13, he talks about the duration of these gifts. In chapter 14, there is the regulation of these gifts. But in chapter 13, Paul 
in this context, is talking about spiritual gifts. But he also talks about love and the duration of love. So look at verse 4 with me for a moment. In verse 4, and again, we're talking about the home. What every home needs, okay? If we're going to love one another as Christ loved the church, or at least from the vantage point of the husband, and if the wife is going to try to the best of her ability to love her husband, there are going to have to be some characteristics that help us in this journey. Well, why would that be the case? Because as people, we are not perfect. When you go through the dating process, you see one side of your mate. And I'm not saying that you don't see a lot of different things in your mate, but you really don't see the full picture until marriage, do you? And you find out we're not, we're not maybe as alike as I thought we were. Maybe you are, maybe you aren't. But as a couple, you're not always going to get along with one another. You're not going to see things eye to eye. And Jesus talked about how the two shall become one. So you're taking two independent personalities, trying to forge them together so that there is a united front. As Jesus said, there are no more two, but one. All right? If we're all going to be on the same page, and even though we may disagree, come to different conclusions... How then are we going to be able to navigate when we have disagreements? When something is not what we think it ought to be? This would be inclusive of children too. But listen to what Paul said. Love suffers long and is kind. The flip side of a long-tempered person is a short-tempered person. Paul here is saying that if we're going to be what we ought to be in terms of the relationships that we forge in this life, and we're talking about the home, we're going to have to learn to suffer along with one another. Over in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul uses the word bearing with one another in love or forbearing one another in love. What does it mean to forbear? It means to bear with. I have no doubt that there have been times in my life and my marriage that Nancy has had to bear with me. Marriage and the home is a growing process, isn't it? Look at the relationship that you have with your spouse today compared to when you married. Hopefully, you've grown closer together. Hopefully, you have grown to, you've grown to know one another better. Over in 1 Peter chapter 3, and we'll talk about this at a later time, but Peter talks about husbands dwelling with their wives. Some translations say, in knowledge, others with understanding. There's a lot to try to learn about one another, isn't there? I mean, men are men and women are women. 
And we don't always do things the same. We don't always look at things the same. We don't always arrive at the same conclusions. We have to learn one another. There were some things that I learned early on, right up front. I found out, you know what? Life's going to go a lot better if I'll just recognize this and press forward. Paul said, love suffers long, and then he said, is kind. That's really the same word found over in Galatians 5, verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit. To demonstrate love in action. You can look at Ephesians chapter 2. We talked about it this morning in our class. The Apostle Paul talking about the exceeding riches of His grace and kindness toward us. To learn to put that love into action. To serve one another. And you know, it might be the case that if you want to really have a home that is running on all cylinders. Try to outserve one another. Try to outdo one another when it comes to doing for the other, if you understand what I'm saying. He said, love does not envy. Envy and jealousy is the root cause of division, isn't it? It might be the case that we're jealous of our spouse, their intelligence, their athletic ability, their perception of life. I mean, there are a lot of different things that could create envy in the home. I'd be the first to tell you right up front. In terms of academics and schoolwork, I don't have a prayer when it comes to that and Nancy. Far better in the classroom. Far better. It's just how it is. You know, I can either like it or not like it, but that's just the way it is. In the home, envy can be destructive when it comes to our children. Go back and read. You remember back in Genesis chapter 37, the account of Joseph? You remember... Joseph was the favored son of his father. And the Bible says concerning Jacob's other children that they hated Joseph. They couldn't speak peaceably with him. I only have one child. I grew up in a home with two other brothers. And I understand something about sibling rivalry. Are there times when maybe parents show favoritism? Probably. I can't necessarily speak to that because I haven't been in that position. But I know I've heard my folks or my mother say, I love you all. And she might love us in different ways, but I think she loves us all equally. But the idea is we're not going to allow envy or jealousy to come between us as a family unit. And then note also, he said love doesn't parade itself, it's not puffed up, it's not arrogant. 
as a husband. I know that I'm to be the spiritual leader in the home, but that doesn't give me the right to be a dictator or to try to run roughshod over my mate or to try to, quote, unquote, put her in her place. I've got to try to the best of my ability to treat my mate as Christ treats the church. And that is a tall, tall order. And I can tell you right now, I fall miserably short of that expectation. I know what the Bible says, and I want to try to follow what the Bible says, but that's not easy. The Scriptures are prescriptive in the sense that here's, a, here's the design of Scripture to help better our lives. And what Paul's saying is these traits, these characteristics, if embedded in your life, and again, we're talking about the home, but if these characteristics are a part of your home life, it's going it's to it's serve you very, very well down the road. And then look at what he says in verse 5. Love does not behave rudely. There are some people that are just rude. Not just rude, but they're crude. Paul is saying, as a Christian, we should never be rude. And why is that? Because that's not how love acts. We're not going to be rude and ugly, particularly in the home. The home is to be a haven of rest, isn't it? The home is to be a place where we have one another and we have one another's backs. Remember many years ago, I was just a, a young fella. We didn't have a lot, but I remember my mom telling me that one of her bosses asked her on one occasion, do you need anything? And she said, we have everything we need. We have one another and we love one another. Let me tell you what, that'll get you down the road a long, long way. Why? Because that kind of love is the glue that keeps it all together. Paul goes on to say, that love does not seek its own. In other words, it's not selfish. It doesn't always have to be about me and what I want and what I think. Marriage is a partnership. Now there is, a, there is the sense in which the man, the husband, the male, is to exercise headship. But it is a partnership. Why? Because we're in this thing together. We're working as a team, as a unit together. The goal is to, is to get to heaven. The goal is to get our children to heaven and maybe down the road to get our grandchildren to heaven. But we are working as a unit. And there are going to be times when we make sacrifices, when we are selfless. There have been a lot of parents in days gone by that have done without things that they wanted and maybe even needed. And you know why? Because they had a child or they had some children that needed some things. And in their minds, it was more important for the children to have 
what they needed than for them to have what they needed. It happened a lot down through the years. Paul goes on to say, love is not provoked. You remember Paul in Ephesians 6 said, Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. One way that we can provoke one another is by the tongue, isn't it? Just make an inflammatory statement and you can provoke someone to anger. It might be that you provoke them to say something that maybe they didn't want to say, they shouldn't say, but they said it in the heat of the moment. Now again, to understand that this is prescriptive. It's like the Apostle Paul writing you a prescription. This is a biblical prescription. Paul's saying, if you want your life to be what it ought to be, these are some characteristics that go along with love, the kind of love that we're to have. Paul writes, love thinks no evil. Aren't you grateful that the God you serve doesn't keep a scorecard on you? Now, I understand that God knows all, sees all, and that we are accountable for what we say and do, and that's not really the point here. The point is that when wrongdoing occurs, and we deal with that, or rather when something occurs and we deal with it, if there are problems, once we have resolved those issues, we're not going to go back and bring that up again, time and again, and that happens. The writer of Hebrews said, quoting Jeremiah the long ago, he said, I'll be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities. I will remember no more. That means whatever is in your past, from God's vantage point, is just that. It's in your past. God forgives and God forgets in the sense not ever going to be brought up again. It's hard to measure up when somebody's always pointing out your faults and your flaws. Well, you remember when you said this, or you remember when you said, I thought that was over. I thought we had already put that to bed. Paul said, be angry and sin not. You can get angry, just don't do foolish things when you get angry. Don't say things that you'll later regret. Don't do things that you later regret. Solomon wrote back in the book of Proverbs many years ago, in the multitude of words, sin is not lacking. There are times in life when the best thing you can say is don't say a word. Button your lips. Again, that worthy woman in Proverbs 13, 31, you remember? She opens her mouth with wisdom. On her tongue is the law of kindness. As a family unit, we ought to love one another, support one another, pray for one another, care for one another. And then Paul said, love rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. It's like a piece of elastic or a rubber band. 
And it's wound around these characteristics. The kind of love that we have or that we are to have for one another in the home is to be unfailing. There will never be a time in my life when I do not love my child, ever. There will never be a time in my life when I don't love my spouse. And why? Because that's what the Bible teaches. All right, we're going to close there. Lord willing, we'll pick up next week and talk a little bit about loyalty. And the two go hand in hand. might be that you're here today and you're not a Christian. You believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and you want to make Him the Lord of your life so that as the Lord of your life, He might bless you. Pardon, peace, His presence, on and on and on. Well, what would you need to do? On Pentecost Day, they were instructed to repent, be baptized, so that their sins might be remitted or forgiven. The Bible says in verse 47 that those who obeyed the gospel, the Lord added to the church. To one day enjoy the blessings of being in the presence of God and His people forevermore. If you're here this afternoon, maybe your life, maybe you're not pleased with where you are in this life. And you would like to try to get back on track. The purpose for you coming forward is to ask others to pray that you will be what the Lord wants you to be. Possibly as a servant in His kingdom. Possibly that you might be a better husband a better wife, a better child. But you want the Lord in your life. If you're here this afternoon, your life's not what it ought to be. We want to pray with you. We're not here to judge you. We're here to pray for you, to help you, not hurt you. James writes, confess your faults one to another. And then he said, pray one for another. We'd be happy to pray with you and for you as we stand and sing.